Good afternoon. Happy New Year. It's good to see you. Made it out through uh, snow and weather. Praise God for his goodness. Normally we would say, uh, turn with me to a book in the Bible, but uh, today we're varying from our expository uh, preaching through uh, the book of Revelation to have this one-off message because of it, its being the, uh, the beginning of the year. So as we were thinking, uh, historically as uh, pastors, we have done, uh, we, we do like a, uh, two of us and now three of us, we would take a portion of, let's say, a psalm or a uh, passage, and then we each speak on one part of that for like 15 minutes or so. Uh, today, is, uh, well, you'll hear me, and then you hear Pastor Brahim. He's going to give a charge for the uh, baptism later, and then uh, so each of us will be doing something, but not in the same format. Uh, the title of the message, as you have in your uh, handout, is Kingdom-Focused New Year Resolutions. Kingdom-Focused New Year Resolutions. This is a time of year that people make resolutions for health, careers, family, and so on. They want to lose weight. Uh, they want to get out of debt. They want to pursue some hobby get serious about regular exercise and diet and so on. But as you know, few of those resolutions last for more than a couple of months. Researchers tell us that fewer than 10% of people manage to keep these resolutions past the first few months of the year. Now, for the resolutions to last, we're told that they need to have, one, a purpose and a goal. Two, they need to be what they call SMART resolutions, which is an acronym used in the business world which stands for Specific, Measurable, Achievable, Realistic, and Time Bound. And thirdly, we need to have accountability in order to motivate us and to stay on task. Now, as believers, the new year is a good time to assess how we're, uh, how we're doing with our spiritual disciplines and make some fresh commitments in the areas where we have been negligent and haven't seen much spiritual growth in this past year. And for those of you who have been consistent and have seen growth, well, praise God and rejoice and continue steadfast, remain as you look forward to this new year. Now, for some who may not have, uh, not have known, uh, or I should say, who don't know what spiritual disciplines are, uh, let me give you a brief definition and some biblical basis and the goals for them. Spiritual disciplines are the means of grace that God gives us to help us grow in our faith and intimacy with Him. So they are a means of grace to help us grow in our relationship with Him, in intimacy and closeness. These include Bible reading, prayer, the corporate gatherings and 
being a member in the local body of Christ where we can have fellowship and accountability. In essence, it is uh, fleshing out Philippians 2.12, which says, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Uh, Brother David spoke to us last week from 1 Thessalonians 5.22 about God, the God of peace who himself sanctifies us completely, which is essentially Philippians 2.13, that is, God working in us both to will and to work in according with his good pleasure. So today is a sequel to that message from Brother David, namely, looking at the means that God uses in our sanctification. So he's the God of peace who sanctifies us completely. Now today we're looking at what are the means that God uses to sanctify us. Clear? Hopefully. Uh, and what is our part in this process of sanctification? So... That's the definition. Let us look briefly at a couple of verses to motivate us and to give us the biblical basis for pursuing these spiritual disciplines. Uh, where do they come from? Why are they so important in our lives? So let's look at a couple of verses. First is a very familiar passage, 1 Timothy 4, uh, verse 7. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. Paul, speaking to Timothy, he says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Paul here is drawing an analogy between physical exercise and what he calls spiritual exercise unto godliness. Uh, and each one, he says, requires discipline. You know, if you're going to uh, work out, if you're going to get good at exercise, at some game or, uh, to, or running or whatever, you need to train and you need to put in the effort. You need to put in the time. You need to discipline yourself, set time aside, what you eat, and so on, to work on your skills so you can get better at your game. Well, here, he uses the same word for exercise or training, which is the word, Greek word gymnasia, where we get the word gymnasium. So, he says, there is a discipline for both whether you're going to be physical exercise or spiritual. However, however, he's the, here's what he wants us to know. Physical exercise profits little. Spiritual exercise unto godliness has benefit for this life and for the life to come. And this is what we're going to be talking about, is that spiritual exercise. The second text gives us the goal that we are to aim for in our spiritual disciplines. Remember we said in order for these, uh, in order for these New Year's resolution to be successful or to last, you need to have a goal. Look with me at 2 Peter 3.18. What is the goal for these disciplines? 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day 
of eternity. Amen. Peter ends this letter, his letter, with an exhortation for the believers to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian life, brothers and sisters, is not static. It's dynamic. It is growth. There needs to be growth. We are not to remain babes feeding on milk, but mature and discerning. So in the first place, he says we are to grow in knowledge of Christ, in knowledge of Christ. This, of course, does not mean just knowing about Jesus Christ. What he's talking about is growing in our love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul said in Philippians 3.8, he says, Indeed, I, counted, I count everything as lost because of the uh, surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. But he doesn't stop at his initial knowledge of Christ. He tells us later in verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death. When we first came to know the Lord Jesus, we come to love him and to glory in him because of what he has done for us in coming to earth and taking our place on the cross. And as Paul, we're willing to part with everything for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, of having Christ, knowing him intimately. But we're not to stop at the initial knowledge of Christ. But like Paul, we are to long to know him more. We are... No way. Really? Okay. That's interesting. My greatest fear. Yeah. I do have a backup. Could you pull that, would you? And give me my phone, would you? Well, I don't know why that happened. Okay. Thanks. All right. Sorry about that. I thought it was charged, but maybe not. Okay. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's. It's testing the patience. That's where. Okay. All right. Let me just find my place, and then we'll. We'll keep going here. All right. So the Christian life is about uh, growth. We are not to remain as babes, as I said. So first of all is that we are to grow in our knowledge, intimacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked at Paul's example. He says that I may know him. His, his desire is not that, well, I knew Jesus, I came to Jesus, I put my trust in Jesus, so I'm good to go. I got my ticket to heaven, I'm good to go. No, he says, I want to press on. I want to lean in. I want to know him more and more. And that's the earnest desire. Now, mind you, Paul is writing this from prison as an older man who's lived the Christian life. He's been in the faith for probably about 30 years. And what's he want now? Paul, what is your desire at this point in time? You're about to die. 
I want to know Jesus. I want to grow in knowledge of Christ my Lord, that I may be more and more conformed into the image of Christ. That is the goal, brothers and sisters, is to know Him and to be conformed into His image. Uh, which is the second thing that Peter exhorts us to do. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Growing in the grace of our Lord. That is to manifest more of the presence and power of Christ in our life by letting His life, His character, shine through us for others to see. His humility, His love, His patience, His compassion, and His zeal for God's glory. Others will see Christ in us, will be drawn to Him as we testify of His power working in us. This is, brethren, consistent with why God saved us. Remember uh, uh, Romans 8.30, that God saved us, that He might conform us into the image of His dear Son. We should settle for nothing less, nothing short of that, but to be more like Jesus. That's why we are created, that God saved us for that purpose. So what are the spiritual disciplines that we need to commit ourselves to? Well, I have six. Why six? Well, uh, because they're incomplete. They fall short of seven, the perfect number. Because it's, it, this is by no means a comprehensive list, nor is it a thorough treatment of these points. We're only going to do a high flyover over each of these points. You can do a, ser a sermon on each one of these points. So the first one, we, you have them, in your, I think, in your outline, right? Yeah, okay, very good. First one is we need to set time aside daily to meet with the Lord. Keep in mind what was the goal. What is the goal? To know Him more, to be transformed into His image. That's the goal. Don't lose sight of that. This is so crucial. We can't neglect it. If we want to grow in our relationship with the Lord, as with any other intimate human relationship, we need to spend time. You need to spend time. You want to know your spouse? You need to spend time with her or him right? And it's a lifelong process. You don't say, oh, well, you know, we met, I know her, she knows me. No, no, you continue to learn about one another. You continue to know how to love, how to appreciate, how to minister, how to give sacrificially to one another. Uh, and so we need to hear daily the Lord speaking to us through his word, the Bible, and us speaking back to God through prayer. We must feed our souls daily on the Word of God. In the same way that our physical bodies need sustenance, nourishment. We don't eat once a week. We don't, many of us don't even eat once a day. We eat more. We need nourishment and sustenance. In the same way, we don't just feed on the Lord one day a week here at, at church. It's day in and day out. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And like the blessed man in Psalm 1 who meditates on God's word day and night, he is like a fruitful tree, spiritually alive and full of vigor. Listen to some of the ways the word will benefit you. The word will make you wise unto salvation, 2 Timothy 3.15. Make you complete and equip you for every good work. Again, 2 Timothy 3.17. It is a mirror to the soul to expose the sins of your heart. James 1.23. 
It is a light to our path to keep us from going astray, Psalm 119, 105. It will keep you from sin, Psalm 119, 11. It will sanctify you, John 17, 17. It will give you wisdom and knowledge and understanding that comes from above, Proverbs 2, 6. It is a treasure that is more precious than silver or gold. It is sweeter than honey to the soul. Study it, meditate upon it, and memorize it. It is God's letter to you. Don't leave your mail unopened. If you tell me your schedule is too busy and you don't have time to be alone with God and to spend time in the Word daily, then, uh, then I would direct you to the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Mark 1.35. And rising every, uh, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Rising early in the morning, because probably that's the only time of day he had. His schedule was so full, there was no other time than to stand to get up in the early morning and go alone to be alone with God. We see him doing the same thing uh, at night. It says, Matthew 14, 23, And after he had dismissed the crowds, and he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, when evening came, he was there alone. Again, alone with God, taking time out of his busy schedule in order to be alone with God. I doubt that any of us had the schedule that Jesus kept. Uh, it makes you tired just reading the account in the, in, the in the Gospels about how he is constantly moving from one place to the other. I pray that, brethren, that we would, uh, that to us, as it was to Jesus, it was a delight for him to meet with his Father. I pray that it would not be a grudge for us to meet with God. It would not be a, a task, oh man, i got to get up in the morning and go spend time with God. Just think about it. The God of the universe, our Maker and Heavenly Father, wants to have an audience with you and has blocked out time in his calendar to meet with you. Do you have that scheduled in your daily calendar? Adam had this privilege in the garden where he would meet with God daily, but lost it once he fell into sin. Remember it says that in the cool of the day, Adam heard God in the garden? I can just imagine that he had this beautiful fellowship with God as if though they're walking together in the garden. In the cool of the day, having fellowship and communion, the Creator with His creation. We, by the grace of God, we have that privilege again because we have been reconciled to God through the blood of His Son. And we have been adopted into His family by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So brethren, let me encourage you, get a manageable Bible reading plan and stick with it and have someone keep you accountable. Remember that the objective is not just to read your assignment for the day and say, check, I read my Bible, but to meet with the Lord and to be changed into his image. Number two, in the second place, we need to have a fresh commitment to gather weekly with the saints for worship and fellowship. Again, I want to point you to the life of Jesus. Luke 4.16 tells us, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went 
to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Since a child, Jesus had this pattern. He and his family weekly to be found in the house of God. It says this was his custom. This was what he did. In fact, when he was a young child, he was found in the temple. And they were looking all over for him. He says, don't you know I must be about my father's business? That was the delight of his heart to be in the temple to worship his God. This was a priority in his life and his family's life. Let me ask you, is it a priority in your life? Before you answer that, think with me. To the degree that you value the gathered assembly of God's people, it is to that degree that you will make every effort not to allow anything to get in the way of that. Some will allow any little thing to keep them from gathering with the saints. Brethren, uh, it's a shame. It's a shame. This is where Jesus promised to gather with his people, where two or three are gathered. Do you not want to meet with Christ? And I, I don't want those of you online, don't be, I'm not trying to pick on you. I understand this, there's different circumstances. But for some who, is, who are just negligent about this point, just encourage you, brethren, remember that worship and fellowship with the living God is what we were created for. It is what we will be doing in heaven for all eternity. If you don't value that now, you think you're going to be bored in heaven. Delight in the gathered assembly of God's people. These is, this is your forever family. This more than your blood and flesh and blood. This is your forever family, unless they are in the Lord, of course. Uh, um, as a new covenant community, we have the privilege to gather weekly to meet with our risen Savior who said where, we, where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. If you neglect these meetings, it is to your spiritual detriment. As we are told in the, in the warnings of Hebrews, remember Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is to call today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Again, Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're to exhort one another, to encourage one another, to stir one another on to love and good works so that we would not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This can only happen if we gather with the saints. It's not going to happen sitting at home. So let me encourage you to make a fresh commitment to gather on Sunday and bi-weekly at the home groups in your area and the monthly corporate prayer. Brethren, if we want to see God moving in our church and the world, then we need to be committed to our corporate gatherings for prayer. And towards that end, we hope by God's grace this year uh, to uh, add a Zoom meeting, a weekly Zoom meeting early, around 6 a.m. weekly to gather from 6 to 7. And we'll send you more information, I mean, on Zoom. And uh, just to make opportunities for us to be praying. We're also hoping to add a bold class for the sake of further equipping the saints. We are still trying to figure out what the best time and place for that, whether on Zoom or in person. Brethren, as the day is approaching, 
the scripture tells us that lawlessness will abound and the love of many will grow cold. We need to meet more frequently if we are going to make it to the end. We need one another towards that purpose. A third spiritual discipline that we need to commit ourselves to, as you could see, I'm just running through it. I could spend an hour just on one. A third is a commitment to regular giving as an act of worship unto the Lord. A commitment. Uh, and some of you say, oh, here we go, you know, Baptist church, preaching on giving. Well, if you guys have been here for any longer time, you know we don't even talk much about giving at all. And we don't even pass the plate. We don't want anyone to feel pressured to give. But why do I include this as a spiritual discipline? Let me give you this. Because it has spiritual rewards and consequences. It has spiritual rewards and consequences. Listen to these words that God promises to the one who gives generously to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may be abound in every good work. He who supplies seed to the sower... He who supplies seed to the sower, and uh, it's not an electronically good day today. Uh, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Listen to these promises that God promises to those who give generously uh, and cheerfully unto the work of the Lord. All grace will abound to you. You will have all sufficiency in all things at all times. God will increase the harvest of your righteousness, and you will be enriched in every way. Do you want that? Do you want that? I do. And so, if nothing else, this is not a... a Health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Give and give the seed, and God's going to give you, you know, your heart's desire. That's not what we're talking about. In fact, most of these blessings are spiritual. They're not physical. The only thing God's promised is to meet our basic needs. No more than that. No fancy vacations, no fancy cars, no airplanes, no none of that. That's, that's not in the Bible. In fact, when you come to Christ, you should expect trials and rejoice in tribulation. So this is what God has promised. Now, there are also warnings. There are warnings. I said that the reason why I spoke about giving as a spiritual discipline because it has both spiritual benefits and warnings. There are warnings. Listen to these warnings. In uh, Malachi 3 and Haggai 1, it says, it, it tells us that they sowed much, but they harvested little. They earned wages and put it in pockets with holes in them. They never seemed to have enough because they were spending money on their own houses and luxuries and neglecting the house of the Lord. If you're not giving and still struggling financially or in other areas of life, consider, consider this. Could it be a discipline of the Lord for neglecting this important spiritual discipline? Let me remind you, brethren, that giving is a part of worship. 
Paul calls the gift he received from the Philippians as a fragrant offering, well-pleasing to the Lord, Philippians 4.13. It is expression of thanksgiving for the mercy that God has shown you. It is an, an acknowledgement that what you have belongs to the Lord, and you are just giving back a portion of what really belongs to Him. And God has promised to compensate you spiritually, pressed down, shaken together, running over to meet your basic needs, food, clothing, and shelter. So, God has been generously good to you and to me, and therefore, brethren, what is it that we should give some of this unrighteous mammon, this, this money that, he, that is just uh, temporary anyway? The world is focused on self and your own wants and needs, but we must not get our cues from the world, but from the Word. And if you want to see what God does in the hearts of people when they are saved, and how He changes them from looking out to themselves to looking to others, just read Acts 2-5 to and 1 Corinthians 9, and Paul tells us about those things. Now, I know some of you may give to other causes, and this is a good thing. There are many worthy causes to give to, but I want to remind you not to neglect the needs of this assembly, your local church family. You can see from the budget sheet that you received in the, in the email where the money is going to support missionaries in the field, various ministries of the church, your full-time uh, pastors and their families, building uh, the building and administrative costs, benevolence to needy brethren, and other operating expenses. All these, it costs money to keep the lights on. If we, do all our, if we all do our part, we should be able to meet our operating budget. Now, <clears throat> and as, you, as I mentioned earlier, we don't talk about these things very much, so I fear... I, uh, I fear that some don't see this as an obligation to give to the church. They just think, well, somehow, some way, the church's needs are met, and that's good by me. I don't need to worry about that. Well, no, they, they're, uh, they are, every one of us is responsible to do our part. So let me encourage you at the outset of 2024 to set some good habits and regular giving if you need to, and if you need help in budgeting, we have brethren equipped to help you in that area. Just see one of the deacons, uh, we'll, we'll point you to the right person. A fourth spiritual discipline that we need to commit ourselves to is a commitment to using uh, your gifts to serve the body. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God has given each of us some gifts to serve the body with. Some of you do that very well, while others need a little encouragement. There are many ways you can serve your brethren with your gifts. Just talk to one of the brethren who are in charge of some of these ministries. Let me read them off to you. Hospitality. The AV. Thank you, brethren, AV team. Many brethren are being blessed through your ministry right this moment, actually. Uh, webs uh, website, Bolt Kids, website and social media, music team, tract and evangelism material, youth meetings, security, finance, event planning, supplies management, welcoming committee, Sunday bulletin, etc. There are many, many. There's something for everyone. No one in here can say, well, I don't have a gift. No, you do. 
you do. There's many ways you can serve. Just talk to one of the brethren, and they will, they will direct you. The fifth spiritual discipline that we need to commit ourselves to is a commitment to the Great Commission. Commitment to the Great Commission. We can't lose sight of this mandate that the Lord has given us corporately and individually. We are to daily look for opportunities to share the gospel with others and to pray for people that God has put in your path, in your life, that we may, they may be saved. Neighbors, family members, work associates, and so on. We had the privilege yesterday, while uh, uh, still snowing somewhat, uh, Brother Rob, myself, and another brother, I don't think he's here, uh, just being there and just ministering to people and giving out the word, and uh, it, was, it was a blessing. Uh, finally, this is a crucial point. We can't miss this point, or we'll fall into legalism or despondency. And that is commitment to live in union with our Savior. Commitment to live in union with our Savior. We can't forget this fundamental fact that at the end of the day, it is not how faithful you have been to the above-mentioned commitments that will make you accepted with God. Nor should your joy come from the measure of your performance. So you're going to fail, I'm going to fail in fulfilling any of those things at any one time. Four or five months come in, you may have consistency, and then at some point you drop off, and I'm going to drop off. So what, do we get despondent? Do we say, well, I'm just a failure, and so on? No. Our acceptance with God is solely based on our union with the Lord Jesus Christ in His life, death, and resurrection. This verse must be our life verse, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The only reason, brethren, that any of us are concerned about any of these things, that you're concerned about Bible reading, that you're concerned about being in the house of the Lord, that you're concerned about giving, you're concerned about serving, right? The reason that you're even concerned about any of these things is because Christ has laid a hold of you. Because you've been changed. Because you are a new creation. Because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Otherwise, you couldn't care less, right? You have a million things to do rather than being here. You have a million ways you could spend your money on rather than giving it to the church. Of course you that, those, those are. You have a million things to do other than reading the Bible. There's all kinds of stuff you can learn on the web. But because you are a new creation in Christ, and now you do these things because you love Jesus, and you want to honor the Lord, and you want to, you want to grow in intimacy with the Lord, that's why. Don't lose sight of that. You see? We can get hung up. Of, well, I'm not reading my Bible enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not. Listen, the fact that you even want to read your Bible is because Jesus has gotten a hold of you. Don't lose sight of that. Our life is life in union with Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. It's not about how much you're doing. It's about being. Being in Him. See, I'm getting into preaching now, and we're not going to get through these if I keep that. Uh, so, that's the only reason you're concerned about these things. My old sinful self died with Christ and now I'm a new man and woman in Christ. He lives in me and I in him. 
I'm no longer controlled by the flesh and its sinful desires, but by the Spirit of God who's at work in me, conforming me into the image of Christ. I love this, and you know, we've, I'm sure you've heard it, many of you have, and it's, it's the saying that John Newton says, well, he says, uh, I'm not the man I ought to be, and I'm not the man I'm going to be, but praise God, I'm not the man I used to be. And we can't lose sight of that, brothers and sisters, is that we are in this path is because Jesus has laid a hold of us. And I live in reliance upon, not upon myself, but in full reliance upon my risen Savior who loved me and gave himself for me. His resurrection power is working in me to enable me to overcome temptation and sin. He's our strength and weakness, our joy and sorrow, our peace and trouble, our comfort and affliction. He's our all in all. Let's lean on him, trust in him, feed on him, abide in him, and let his word abide in you that your joy may be full. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. Uh, now, if you're here and don't know the Lord, the first thing you need to commit yourself to, or if you're online and you're listening to me, the first thing you need to do is to commit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. God commands you to repent today because each year, we're at the beginning of 2024. You have no guarantee whether you're going to live to the end of 2024. None of us do. And so get right with the Lord today. Today is a day of salvation. Start this year right by putting your trust in Christ and have the joy of knowing that your sins are forgiven and have eternal life. You've heard the gospel. Christ Jesus left heaven the glory of heaven, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, came down, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died the sinner's death on the cross, not for himself, but as a substitute for all who put their faith and trust in him. He rose again from the dead on the third day. He ascended to heaven on the right hand of the Father. Is coming again in glory and power to judge the living and the dead. Receive him today, because if you don't, you have no guarantee of tomorrow. We'd love to talk with you afterwards. Just see us, and we'll be glad to explain further about how you can get right with the Lord. What are some of the benefits of spiritual disciplines? Well, brethren, as I said earlier, it, it, it will grow you closer to the Lord. You'll never regret practicing these disciplines. I can assure you that if you incorporate these things into your daily and weekly schedule, you will be the better for it. The end of 2024 will find you spiritually healthy and strong, like that man in Psalm uh, 92, who is planted in the house of the Lord, flourishing like a palm tree and a cedar in Lebanon, bearing fruit and full of sap. The second benefit is that you will, it will help you as to maintain an eternal perspective on life. Maintain an uh, eternal perspective on life. Pastor Joe, in leading us in prayer, mentioned these things. I think he was looking at my notes. You don't know what 2024 holds. I don't. What does it hold for us economically? What does it hold for us politically? What does it hold for us nationally, internationally? What does it hold for us physically? You don't know and I don't know. What's going to keep you stable? What's going to keep you unshakable when that difficult times comes? It's these disciplines. It's these things. 
It's the word. It's the fellowship. It's the prayer. It's drawing near to God on a daily basis. That's what's going to keep you solid and grounded, brethren. Everything else around you may be shaken, and you don't know what's going to shake next. But when you are founded on Christ, you have a solid foundation and his word, and you walk in day by day in faith and trust and obedience, you have nothing to fear because he's got you. He's got your life. He's got my life. It's all under his control. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We are so grateful that you have had mercy on us. You have saved us, drawn us to you, Lord, in mercy and grace and pardon. Lord, forgiving our trespasses, making us your sons and daughters. What a privilege we have, Lord, to know you and to grow in the knowledge of you. Thank you for your word that you've given us, Lord, for that purpose. Oh, may we take it to heart daily. Let's take time out of our busy schedule to sit at your feet, to hear from you, to learn from you, Lord, to adore and worship you, Father, and to speak to you. Help us all, Lord, by the end of 2024, we may be uh, growing closer to you, Father. May we bear more fruit of the Spirit in our lives. May others see more of Christ in us, we pray. Oh, Father, help us to be more giving and serving, giving unto the work of the Lord, serving one another with the gifts that you have given us. Grant us, Lord, help that we may establish good patterns, good habits. Oh, Lord, where we've been negligent, give us repentance. Help us to turn and forsake, and Lord, to get on the right path. Help us to seek help where we have been negligent. Lord, that we would look to those who are walking the walk, who are doing the things that we are talking about. May we find help with those brothers and sisters, Lord, who are uh, currently setting that pace for us. I thank you, Father, for godly men and women in this congregation who are living that life. Help us to take advantage of them, Lord, and to learn from them. We give you all the praise and we ask all this. And if there are any here, Lord, or online who are listening and have not put their faith in Christ, may today be the day that you would touch their heart Holy Spirit, that you would make them alive and they would commit their life unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're going to be singing our next... Okay, okay. So uh, there's going to be continual translation for our Spanish-speaking uh, brethren after the song. So... Keep your headphones on. Please stand and join us in singing. Never cease to praise.